Provoke podcast is brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialists, Marketeers. Support for this podcast comes from Notified, the integrated, intelligent and easy-to-use PR software. Get a free demo today at Notified.com. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Paul Holmes here with um, the Provoke Media podcast. And we are fortunate to have with us today somebody um, who I think will live up to the provocative uh, nature of these podcasts, Duncan Mizell. And Duncan is representing an organization many of you will be familiar with, uh, Clean Creatives. Uh, Duncan, why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about your background and how Clean Creatives came into being? Yeah, thank you so much, Paul. Uh, it's really nice to talk to you and connect with your audience. Um, my background is in doing communications around climate change for NGOs. Um, I worked at an organization called 350.org for about six years, uh, helping run digital campaigns on issues related to pipelines and divestment and the Paris Climate Agreement. Uh, and what we found doing that work was that every time that we would try and you know, commit to some sort of climate action, um, there would always be really well-run and well-financed campaigns uh, from the public relations and advertising industry to oppose us. Um, and it kind of occurred to us that that's actually a really big pillar of uh, power uh, for the fossil fuel companies that are most responsible for climate change. And so uh, last fall in 2020, uh, I was working with my co-founder, uh, Jamie Henn, um, and we were you know, we're just trying to find ways to uh, support the climate movement in the context of the U.S. election. And what we found, we, our plan was, you know, to look at some of the ads that were being run by the American Petroleum Institute at the time. And we were going to look at, you know, one ad, figure out who made it and, you know, kind of expose them to sort of like identify that as a real uh, barrier to change when it comes to, you know, electing someone who's going to take action on climate change. Uh, and what we actually found was that uh, the agency we thought was making those ads at the time and it, uh, was an agency that was in Austin, Texas, which is my hometown where I live now. And uh, it occurred to me as we were having that discussion that uh, young creative people in Austin, Texas, which is a pretty progressive place, probably weren't that excited about working for the American Petroleum Institute. It probably didn't align with their values. And you know, we sort of led to the thought that, that might be true in a lot of places. Uh, you know, the public relations and advertising industry is an industry that relies on talent um, and in particular young talent. And we know that young people are deeply committed to climate action and understand the causes of it as being caused by fossil fuels. And so it just kind of occurred to us that there might be an opportunity to connect with people inside the industry to ask them to, to change. Um, and around that same time, actually, um, Jamie came across a video from uh, Philip Morris uh, about the quote smoke-free future that they were trying to build. Uh, and the video was so poorly done. I thought it was actually a joke. Um, it was just bad stock footage, bad text on screen, like really just run down creative. And it just sort of clicked for me that, you know, not only is it possible to kind of bring people out of working for this industry, that when you do that, uh, it has an impact on these companies ability to persuade the public uh, to oppose climate action. And so I think those two experiences together are kind of formed the nexus of the, the theory of what we're trying to do with clean creatives, which is bring together leading voices within the public relations and advertising industry to address the industry's work with fossil fuel companies, 
um, and really commit uh, major agencies to working for climate action. Okay, so tell me a little bit about the successes you've enjoyed so far and maybe also some of the frustrations. Sure. Um, so, you know, I'm really grateful to all the people in the industry who have stepped forward to engage in this conversation with us. Um, and it's a pretty good number of people that have done it now. Um, there's about 190 agencies um, from sort of medium sized to small agencies for the most part that have taken our pledge. Um, there's about uh, 650 individuals within the industry who have taken a personal pledge, uh, okay. whether or not they're able Sorry, to work can you just, industry. Sorry, could you just clarify exactly what the oh, plan yes. <laughs> Of course, yeah. So um, what Clean Creatives is doing is asking um, agencies and individuals uh, to take a pledge to not take any future contracts with fossil fuel clients. And what we describe as fossil fuel clients are uh, companies whose primary business operations are in the extraction, transportation, refinement, or combustion of fossil fuels, um, power companies that generate more than 50% of their power generation from fossil fuel sources, uh, trade associations or front groups that represent um, those companies. So that's our our list, and we actually try to be, we actually do have a list um, of of the, the agents of the uh, organizations that are covered by it. Um, and that's the pleasure we're asking people to take. And I appreciate you pa uh, pressing pause uh, for me to explain that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, the point is, but I, I think the biggest success is just a lot of people have stepped up. And that uh, I, I think that as a result of that, uh, this conversation is very live um, and I think is very much uh, in the mind of people who work in this industry. And I think there's been a lot of conversation around, around purpose and sustainability. And I think it's now hard to have those conversations without some awareness and focus on the role of fossil fuel clients um, in the industry's carbon footprint. And I think that's the biggest success is that this is just a conversation that's not going away. Um, you know, I think the frustration is, is that uh, there's still a lot of conversation about people who think that there's a way for public relations and advertising agencies to engage fossil fuel companies and get results. And I, uh, I don't think that that is really um, the right way to look at the way, uh, the relationship between an agency and a client. Um, you know, if I'm a major energy company with a $20 billion a year capital expenditure budget, I'm trying to figure out whether carbon capture and storage works, uh, the regulatory issues across, you know, a dozen different jurisdictions related to climate action, um, the details of compliance with international law and national law around climate, you don't call an advertising agency to fix that problem for you. It's not the way that you, it's not the, the expertise that you need to transform a company that has complex operations. Um, and so uh, I, I just think that um, there's, I think, a reluctance to look uh, at the way that campaigns can contribute to uh, the climate emergency. And I think that's the conversation that we need to have, that this is not just, um, you know, a bunch of unruly activists. This is like a real business decision that um, agencies are going to face uh, about whether to continue working with an industry that's facing legal challenges, regulatory challenges, economic, uh, you know, headwinds. Uh, and I think that, you know, we're just moving into a place where this has to be taken more seriously uh, by leading agencies. Okay, so 
we've we've strayed now into the the territory on which you and I probably have different opinions, um, and and that's where I'd like to to spend um, most of my time um, on on this podcast exploring exploring the issues. Um, and I I should say um, before getting into that, um, you know, like like most people who care about the public relations industry, its reputation um, and its ability to to function in modern society. Um, I have read, you know, all of the Merchants of Doubt, Tainted Truth books from the last 10 or 15 years um, detailing the PR industry's role in everything from um, undermining and um, and uh, sort of trying to delegitimize Rachel Carson um, all the way through the work that that some of the industry's largest agencies did for um, the tobacco business over the years um, right through to the modern day and um, and the PR industry's role in, in climate denialism and creating, um, fear, doubt, and uncertainty where none should rightfully exist, and um, and um, you know where where I've seen that happen. Um, you know, I've I've been. I, I don't want to. I don't want to say as appalled as you are, because it, I, who knows how appalled each individual person is. Um, but it's not something that the public relations industry should be proud of. Um, where we where we differ, I think, is um, I I would say that public relations agencies should not engage in unethical behavior, um, which would include being dishonest and and indeed being intellectually dishonest um, for any client, um, but that you can be intellectually honest for a fossil fuel company and intellectually dishonest for an NGO that opposes fossil fuel companies. And that, to me, should be the litmus test rather than who you're taking money from. Why why focus on don't do any work at all? And I assume don't do any work at all includes don't help fossil fuel companies engage with NGOs. Don't do employee communications for fossil companies. Don't I mean there are a whole raft of things that PR agencies do that aren't actually about fighting the climate change movement. Yeah. And um, having worked with enough NGOs, there's there's some intellectual dishonesty there that I think I could bear witness to. So uh, I, I do take that seriously. And if I had to formulate it really simply, it's that the role of agencies for their clients is to help their clients grow their business. And the planet cannot afford to have the business of fossil fuel industries grow. Um, it's simply incompatible with a safe future. Um, you know, the reason that we have, uh, that agencies have, you know, expensive contracts with companies is the companies want to grow their business. And when you look at the, you know, I'm, I'm actually in Glasgow right now um, in the UN climate talks. And I sat in on the session about, just how the, this, the stage of the gap 
between the commitments that have been made in Paris and the actions that have been taken since Paris. And we are currently on track for a world that will lead to runaway climate change. And that will lead to human suffering on a scale that we've not witnessed ever in our lifetimes. Um, and it'll happen within this deck, within our lifetimes before 2050. And the main cause of that, 75% of the carbon emissions are coming from the energy sector. And if we continue to grow that sector, it will be devastating for life on earth. And it's just that simple. I mean, it's not that it's necessarily that every single contract that is uh, you do is dishonest. You can do employee communications. I've spoken with someone who, you know, worked for a major fossil fuel company writing, um, you know, sort of obituary condolence tweets uh, for like major figures that are associated with the oil industry. And it's not that I think that like, you know, a condolence tweet is like leading, you know, misleading people about climate change. It's that there's a system, uh, there's a relationship that that agency holds with that client that is to grow that client's business. And we know that 99% of the money that oil companies are spending right now on growing their business is going into more coal or is going into more oil and gas expansion. And the International Energy Agency and the UNFCCC and the uh, you know all, every sort of major consortium of scientific figures on climate change says that we cannot continue making those investments and expect to stop the warming of the planet. And so I, I think it's about a basic economic relationship um, that needs to be addressed, and then the impact that those companies are actively having on the planet. Not necessarily that it is about. Uh, any individual dishonest piece of communication. Although I think there's plenty of dishonesty that goes into promoting a business with that agenda. <laughs> um, but I, I think that is the the real core of what we're trying to get at here. Right. So we we can we can nitpick about I, like I have I have two specific issues with with what you just said. First of all, um, you know I'm 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 not sure that growing. The business is necessarily the only reason you could be hired um, by any company, including a fossil fuel company. You could, for example, be hired to help the fossil fuel company transform its business um, or indeed build a business that is sustainable into a future that doesn't include fossil fuels. Um, I'd also, I think, take issue with... Um, and this may be a, di a difference in how we view these these firms that we're talking about. And I, and here I separate the PR industry from the advertising industry to a certain extent. In that I think ad agencies are in fact agencies. In many cases, PR firms are consultancies rather than agencies. They are there giving advice, and in many cases one would hope, the advice that they would give is if you want a relationship with the public going forward, you have to transform your business and be better. Now, I, I wonder, therefore, whether you're whether you're denying the possibility that fossil fuel companies can change and transform, and whether, in fact, you think the only solution going forward is that these companies essentially surrender and die? Um, I, I think this is a real challenge for uh, the transition that we're facing is like there are going to be sectors of the economy that will not be able to exist in a safe climate future. There is no world in which we can continue digging up oil and gas and it, it's incompatible with the commitments that world leaders made. 
And uh, that is the that is the repeated consensus I'm hearing at Glasgow is like too much gas, too much coal, too much oil, too much gas, too much coal, too much oil. And um, there's like ongoing sunk costs that are being committed here. And I, you know, I, of course, would love to entertain the idea of a, a transition on behalf of any of these companies, but it simply doesn't align with their repeated commitments. Um, Exxon is known about climate change since the 70s. Last year, they invested $20 billion in more oil and gas expansion. That does not demonstrate a commitment to change. And I think that that has been true across the board. You know, uh, BP in some ways has one of the most forward-looking approaches. It's still deeply inadequate. And, you know, the same, the same window of time that they are promoting a new net zero target at the beginning of this year, uh, they floated a $500 million oil platform into the Gulf of Mexico uh, to dig up a $9 billion investment in oil. And it's like these things do not match. And the 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 I was I was reflecting on that the BP oil well recently, and you know that single well that BP is drilling costs more than President Biden's entire electric vehicle charging plan for the entire country to create five hundred thousand charging stations, which is existing technology. You don't need to invent anything else. You just need to deploy it. And BP chose to spend nine billion dollars on a new oil well rather than building the world's largest electric vehicle charging infrastructure, which they could do with that same capital. And I think it's just there's extremely scant evidence that that commitment to change is being made. And instead, they're sinking more and more costs into the kind of business that uh, can't continue to exist, that's incompatible with the commitments that governments have made. But do you... I mean... I'm, I'm trying to understand here what your ideal solution would be, because if if in fact the fossil fuel t- industry tomorrow completely shut down, um, the 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 economic and social consequences for the entire globe would be pretty appalling. I mean, you know, what we're doing right now, for example, would become impossible. That surely that's not your solution. And surely, if you can, in fact, exert some influence to accelerate the process of change, if you can exert some influence to make fossil fuel companies understand that they have to move faster, which I'd like to think some people within the public relations industry, and indeed some people who are doing public relations, corporate communications in-house for fossil fuels are doing. Um, you know, I, I've always I've always disliked the idea that public relations should be the conscience of the corporation. But I do think that a lot of public relations people make good faith arguments within the organization for faster change and more social progress and more responsible business practices. If we're not going to, if we're not going to expect fossil fuel companies to immediately shut down tomorrow and throw the world economy into complete disarray, Surely we need to have people working with those companies who are making good faith arguments for change faster than it currently is. Yeah, um, I, you know, I, I think there's some really I, I think the thing that I want to zero in on that I think really is the, the dividing line between what you can count as responsible business practices in this area and what you can't is capital expenditures and investments in future projects. 
And that is really what I find to be the, the rubbing, the sticking point here. Um, the International Energy Agency released a report about how to achieve the Paris Climate Agreement at the beginning of this year. Uh, it's called the Path in, Pathway to Net Zero. In that statement, they say, in that statement, which is a very detailed study of the world, you know, uh, economic landscape, um, probably the best source of authority on this. Um, what they said was that there is no need for new oil and gas infrastructure. We do not need to drill another oil well. We have existing technology. And all the wells that we have can provide all the oil we need to make the transition out in time, safely. We have access to the resources that are needed. And as those wells dry up, we have the technology we need to replace the cars with batteries, the power plants with wind turbines, et cetera. And so it's really the ongoing commitment of these companies to continue investing in the new pipelines, the new oil wells, the $500 million oil well uh, drilling rig that's floating into the Gulf of Mexico, um, the new purchases of gas, uh, gas leases. Those things are things that we simply do not need. Our life would not shut down if we didn't drill another new oil well. Our life would not shut down if there wasn't a new pipeline. Um, we actually have the technology that could displace that. And it's the continued reinvestment of those profits back into a business model that is killing the planet, that is warm, that's creating uh, you know, weather disasters. That I think is the rub. I think we're really thinking about the future. And I think a world in which you, know, you could have BP beyond petroleum, but their investment uh, portfolio would have to flip, where instead of investing over 95% of their capital expenditures in more oil and gas, that would have to go into the renewable infrastructure and the charging infrastructure and the and the home weatherization that we have. I don't really care. Like you know, if if if, if you know if, if tomorrow um, the world's sixth largest oil company has said that they're going to start investing seventy five percent of their capital expenditures into oil into non oil and gas projects, I'd be happy to shut down clean creatives. Boy, howdy, I'd go on vacation. You know, but we're just not there, and okay. you know, that's that's the case I would make. So I, I, again, I have a. I have a couple of questions. Mm -hmm. um, the the first is if if a public relations agency went to work for an for a fossil fuel company, right? Now let, let, let's let's say BP, or because BP has at least been making an effort um, after the Beyond Petroleum debacle of of twenty years ago, um, and worked exclusively on promoting BP's investment in wind and solar, um, they would still be targeted by your campaign, yes? They would, yeah. Um, um, and, and the, Sorry, go ahead. No, I, I, I mean, why? Uh, because right now, the, the, I think the most accurate way to represent that those investments is that they are um, attempting to mislead the public about what BP's core business is. Um, that BP is the majority of the things they're investing their time and money in are not the products that they're advertising to the public or representing to the public through public relations, essentially. Um, and uh, it, it, there is a mismatch there. It just it does not it's not consistent with the uh, representation of what the what the company does. Which is, you know, 97 percent more oil and gas. So but I, for me, I guess a more fundamental question about about this is um it seems it seems to me that you're taking the position that this change cannot be achieved 
with the cooperation of the fossil fuel industry. In other words, the fossil fuel industry has, um, from your perspective at least, sacrificed so much trust, so much credibility, um, so much assumption of good faith over the years that you can't envisage a way forward in which they are part of the solution. Um, and I can certainly understand, given the industry's history, how you could take that view. Am I? Am I? Is that right? I mean, am I making the right assumption about how you feel? I, I would. I mean, I would even say it's very. It's current. You know, it's it's. You know, this is like a. You know, you can check the financial. Like at the end of this year. I encourage everybody to sit down and read the shareholder reports of these companies of what they say they're investing their money in. And that's really, it is a, it is a numbers game. It's um, there is a lack of trust. I would say that <laughs> I think that's fair. Um, but I think that the real rub is just that the money and the business plan keeps going in the wrong direction. And so that is the challenge that we need to overcome. And um, yeah, I think it's a mistake to uh, go into those conversations with those with those clients, assuming that it's going to be uh, a straightforward transformation process in a world where there's those sunk costs. So here, here's another of the fundamental differences I think between us, and I don't know whether this comes down to, I I, I don't. <laughs> I'd like to think that what I'm being is realistic and pragmatic, but I suspect that you would argue the opposite, that um, that that I'm being slightly Pollyanna-ish about the fossil fuel industry, um, given its track record. And I, I, think, I do think this is an issue on which reasonable people can disagree. Mm -hmm. um, but it seems to me highly implausible that... The fossil fuel industry will either surrender or that governments around the world will find the courage and commitment necessary to, um, to force the fossil fuel industry uh, into the kind of surrender that you're talking about. And so from my perspective, I would say that the only hope going forward is to make the fossil fuel industry understand that for public relations reasons, for reasons of its relationship with its customers, its communities, its own employees. I mean, you know, the, the people who go to work for oil companies, hundreds of thousands of them around the world, um, are not, I assume, all evil people. Um you know, that, that they want change too. They want things to get better. And that working with them to make, to make them understand the need to move faster remains a more realistic path forward than either, as I say, their complete surrender or their complete defeat um, by a regulatory and legislative system that, to this point at least, has shown absolutely no in interest in shutting down the fossil fuel industry. Well, I, I you know, I like I said, I'm, I'm actually here in Glasgow, and I, if I anything, I would describe this meeting of the UN climate talks as the fossil fuel talks um, that governments have committed to stop public financing of fossil fuels um, uh, tomorrow morning, I believe, um, there's going to be the first diplomatic alliance of countries ever 
that's going to come together and say that they're going to cease new permitting for fossil fuel expansion um, of any kind, oil, gas, et cetera. Um, dozens of countries said they're going to stop building coal plants. And, and really, I, I think um, I don't disagree with you about the track record of governments, um, but I, I think that um, it's not it is not possible to have a safe future for the majority of the world's population if that continues to be true. And whether or not that is like uh, immediately feasible, um, we have to act as if it is because the alternative is simply catastrophic. It's, it is incompatible with life on earth. And, and I think that that's really the sign. <laughs> but again, all of, the, all of the plans that we're seeing right, have a 25-year, a 30-year, a 50-year um, horizon, that these are changes that are going to be implemented over a fairly long period of time. Um, as long as that's going on, fossil fuel, first of all, fossil fuel companies are going to have to adjust their business model to, to deal with those targets and to, to presumably find a way of staying in business while meeting them. Um, or again, simply acknowledge that, 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 you know, that their, their, their business model is not sustainable. And, and as I say, just go out of business. I mean, we, but we've seen other industries, right. Adapt to that kind of change. We've seen people move from, um, making making typewriters to making computers or whatever. And sure, there'll be other people who come along and do the wind and solar better and differently. But presumably for, for reasons of survival, if these targets prove to be a little bit more um, substantial and real than targets in the past, which have not been hit, then fuel companies will need to transform and I, I don't, I guess, understand why public relations agencies shouldn't help them accomplish that transformation. Uh, I, so I, I think two things. Like one is, um, uh, I, I would just say that, I mean, there's, there's no company that's committed to that transformation, period. Like it, it doesn't exist, you know? And like I was in Paris in 2015 when the Paris Climate Agreement was signed. There's been six years of waiting for a plan that matches that agreement. No one's made it. They've had even, you know, you could look at Copenhagen in 2009. That's over a decade ago. Still no plan that would meet that agenda. And it's just, we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting. And it's how much more do we need? Um, how much more evidence do you need? It's, it's just, I don't know what to tell you. It's like, <laughs> you've known about this stuff for decades and, and there's, there's still nothing happening. And the one interesting thing I think to consider here is just how quickly the change in fortunes can occur. And I think this is a business consideration for, for PR companies also of like, when I first started thinking about climate change in, you know, 2009, 2010, Exxon was the richest country company in the history of money. They made more money every single year than any company had ever made ever. And last year they got removed from the Dow industrial index. They're not even in the conversation of the top 50 biggest companies in the world. That is an incredibly rapid decline. Um, if you think about the coal industry in America, coal industry in America used to be an enormous source of jobs and a huge industry, billions of dollars a year. They employ fewer people than Arby's. And it's very easy to imagine a world without Arby's. Uh, I think it should be just as easy to imagine a world where the coal industry doesn't exist anymore. Um, the UK invented the Industrial Revolution. They don't use, there's no coal power plants running in the UK. Like 
the transition could be quite rapid. And, and there are economic mechanisms here that I think are probably my source of hope. And I think when you're talking about companies needing to adapt, I, I think these are the kinds of conditions that may create nonlinear change, may create different kinds of business plans than we've seen in the past, where you know, I, I live in Texas, like I said, um, and there's a huge problem because Texas oil is not the cheapest in the world. It's like pretty cheap, but not the cheapest. And a 1% decline in global oil demand can generate a 40% decline in price. And the viability of U.S. of oil drilling in, in Texas goes away very quickly when, when this declines in demand. And when you think about the growth of electric vehicle adoption, it doesn't have to be 100% adoption for that economic model to be deeply challenged. So I think those are, those are the kinds of nonlinear transformations that could create the, the pressures that we're talking about. But up until now, it's been not a lot happening. <laughs> See, I'm going to... I, I, I... I'm going to make a suggestion that you would hate, but um, I, and and I certainly understand that this is even less likely to happen than any of my other Pollyanna-ish views. But I actually think you should be giving public relations advice to fossil fuel companies. Yeah, because I think what, I think the case that you just laid out is precisely what a responsible public relations person would be explaining to every fossil fuel company on the planet, that the future that you are on track for right now is unsustainable. It's not going to work, and it's going to result in you going the way of the coal companies in the UK or, you know, the, the people who are still making horse and buggy whips, um, you know, 500 years, uh, 200 years after we moved to the automobile. I mean, that, you know, that this is how change happens and that you need to make, you need to understand that that's the future and you need to get out of the unsustainable part of your business as rapidly as possible and get into new sustainable lines of business as quickly as possible. That, it seems to me, is actually the only responsible public relations advice that you could give to a fossil fuel company right now. And um, that, I mean, honestly, you could do that probably better than than anybody in, um, in 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 any agency that I work with um, and pull down a nice six-figure salary at the same time, maybe seven figures <laughs> at the same time. Uh, um, Exxon, call me. I'll bill you. <laughs> and, you know, there, there, you can do that job. It, my point, I guess, is that you can do that job in an ethical way. And if the company isn't, in, if if you think the company is acting in bad faith, you can walk away. But you should have the opportunity to provide it with good faith advice. And I, let me let me come back to another issue here because I also think that you're you're placing um, <laughs> at an enormous um, enormous burden on the creative industry here but there are there are hundreds of other businesses without whom the fossil fuel industry couldn't couldn't move forward to the to the same extent that it does i mean you're not pressuring accounting firms you're not pressuring lawyers you're not pressuring uh, management consulting firms why the focus simply on the creative sector 
I, I, I will say there are efforts to do all those things. Uh, you know, there are actually, you know, McKinsey had a thousand employees sign a letter saying that they should stop working with big polluters. Uh, that was covered in the New York Times a few uh, week ago or so. Um, there is a movement of lawyers, uh, particularly law students, um, to pressure big law firms out of working on that. There is the finance industry. In 2012, I helped start the movement to divest colleges and universities from fossil fuels. Um, so I will say there's an ecology out there, of which we are one small part, um, and we'll reflect on that. So I do take your point. Um, and yeah, look, if anyone has, you know, anyone listening to this has that fossil fuel client, I challenge you to give that advice that Paul recommended. I, I, that's great advice. And if they don't take it, um, I think you should take that to heart and a reflection of how serious they are about their commitment to change. And, you know, if that's that's my challenge to you. Okay. Let, let's talk quickly about some of the most recent um, things that you've been involved with. And I think we're running Great. up against what Arun had suggested was a time limit. But I'm enjoying yes, myself, yes. so I'm happy to go on another <laughs> three to ten minutes. Um, first of all, there was um, an open letter by climate activists um and that and and one that um specifically targeted one firm which uh, your campaign has also mentioned by name numerous times and um which i recently saw listed i, I saw the ceo listed in the guardian as one of the american ceos who was contributing most to the climate crisis so um why is there is there a reason that we're picking on Edelman as much as we are? So that letter actually came from a, a, just a very specific coincidence, I would say, um, which is that at, during Climate Week, um, we released a, the F list, which was our list of documenting all the known relationships between agencies and fossil fuel companies. And we had discovered something about Edelman working with Exxon that we released that week. This, that same week, Edelman was doing an engagement with a group of influencers. Um, and so I know those, or I've sort of, you know, one or two degrees separation from those influencers. And so I just sent them a message and said, Hey, did you know about this while you're working on this? Is, you know, could you just let them know that you're not happy about it and, and weigh in, um, and, and just trying to encourage them to change on this. And they were really upset. They actually felt really bad that they had done this engagement with a company that simultaneously was pushing for what they see is like climate destruction and, and something that's like deeply opposed to their values. Um, the engagement they've been doing with Edelman was a, a really actually, I would say pretty good climate justice priorities. Um, you know, like real investments in environmental justice communities, like I actually feel great about that campaign, but they felt like kind of used, like it just, it was, it felt disingenuous and they were upset about it. And so they had started, they started private communications with Edelman. They talked to them over the course of a couple of weeks and they didn't feel like it went anywhere. And so they decided to bring that to the public. Um, and so, you know, we have found that Edelman has more relationships that we could track with fossil fuel companies and front groups than any other agency. So I think it's natural that it's sort of like come for special attention in that way. Um, but that's sort of why that those things have happened together. And, and um, yeah. And I, I was going to I was going to ask you, you know, Edelman has Edelman has responded to that to a certain extent. I mean, talking to our people um, by saying that nothing that they do for ExxonMobil has any connection with climate denialism, that they're certainly not in the business of of sort of trying to sow uncertainty about about the climate crisis. Um, Exxon, you know, accepts that there's a crisis. Um, 
and I was going to ask you if if you believe Edelman when they say that, but having had the discussion for the last 40 minutes, I'm guessing you don't really care. But you, you think it's just as bad to be working for Exxon, even uh, if all of those things were true. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the specific work that we found Edelman was doing with Exxon is, you know, running Facebook ads and generating public pressure against Congress to pass climate legislation. And like, I, I can't think of anything more dangerous to the planet than that. Like, the, it is about one of the most reckless things we could do in the context of the climate crisis possible right now. We have a really short timeline, a unique opportunity for action and support for action in Congress. And trying to block that right now is is just, I think, quite irresponsible as a business. And so, yeah, that specific thing, uh, it may not be climate denial, but if it's denying climate action, it's just as bad, in my opinion. Yes. Okay. I should be I should be clear just for the purposes of this podcast and and um, uh, protecting our ourselves against um, anything that that is not how um, Edelman has described their work to us. Okay, great. Well, um, you, you can what, you can visit creative.org to see our report. <laughs> what what's the what's the future of um, of clean creatives? By the way, I should I, actually I should say. Um, before we move on, you've you've also um, I wouldn't say targeted Provoke Media, but you've certainly um, contacted us in the past, requesting, for example, that we don't allow um, fossil fuel campaigns in the Saber Awards, um, right. and uh, and and my response to that is essentially the same response I've been giving throughout this conversation, which is that we don't allow unethical work. Um, and I would certainly include anything that had an element of climate denialism under the unethical banner um, in the Sabres, but that I can still envisage lots of campaigns conducted for fossil fuel companies that are ethical um, and that wouldn't um, offend our judges of whom I am nearly always one. Um, I mean, I, I can say with absolute certainty that if if you're working on anything that's that's climate denial, uh, climate change denial, you won't win a saber. Don't bother sending it. Um, <laughs> that's good. You know, in the same way that if you were trying to encourage kids to smoke cigarettes, it would never win a saber. Um, but um, sorry, I, that was really just as an aside. What's the future mm -hmm. for for, for um, climate creatives, and what what do you want to see happen next? Well, I, I think the future um, is really about um, continuing to provide as much sort of transparency as we can offer um, about what we know about relationships here, and, and offering that to people who are considering futures in the industry. Um, I think that just the, the F list, you know, none of that was not public. It was all public information in the list, but we just kind of put it all in one place as a reference point. And I think we'll continue to do things like that. Um, and I, I really think that uh, we want to keep uh, just like keep the conversation going. Like, I, I don't know the best way to describe it is uh, we have a saying as we're working on the campaign. There's just more is more. Wait a minute. Aren't you actually trying to end the conversation? <laughs> <laughs> you actually kind of silence the conversation? I, 
um, I think we are trying to continue the conversation in spaces like this in industry bodies to set new norms for the industry. I will say that much. Um, you know, the, that's, that's what I think the way that we look at this is it's kind of a norm setting exercise about what are the expectations that companies have for the work they do and um, how, do they, how do they conduct themselves with what kinds of clients. Okay. So I don't, I don't think... I don't think you and I are necessarily going to um, resolve our different perspectives on this. Um, I might, I still believe that the PR industry can play a positive role in persuading fossil fuels to be better, to do better, to be part of the solution. Um, I suspect that your view of the likelihood of that happening has not changed at all um, over the last 45 minutes, and that's fine. I do think that the Clean Creatives campaign has been and, and has the potential to be even more of a force for good in this discussion going forward, because I think the more you force public relations firms to think about what they're doing, to approach what they're doing um, as responsibly and ethically and honestly and intellectually honestly as they can, is a good thing. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I applaud um, the efforts you've made to to make the industry better. Um, I just don't think your solution is the right solution, but I think that you're um, uh, you're a force for good in our industry. So thank you for that. I, I appreciate that. I mean, we're we're gonna. Our approach is always to be persistent, pointed, but polite. Um, and you know, I like I, just on the context of Edelman. You know, we're we're gonna continue pressuring and, and, you know, finding ways to do that. But, you know, 10 years ago, um, you know, a group of people, a climate activist in London went into Edelman's uh, London office, took off all their clothes and super glued their hands to the floor. And that's not what we're doing. That's not our approach. And like, we really do want to be in dialogue and, and make the case to people. Um, and, and the door is always open. You can find my email on our website and, and I'm glad to have the conversation with anyone who would like to. Great. Thank you very much, Duncan. Um, really My pleasure. Appreciate it. That's all we have time for on this podcast. Um, I hope you found it interesting, stimulating, um, provocative. Thank you. Yes, provoke. You have been listening to the Provoke podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialists, marketeers. Support for this podcast comes from Notified, the integrated, intelligent, and easy-to-use PR software. Get a free demo today at notified.com.